Okay. Um, there was a very important teaching by Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa that I'll go into quite in depth with you today. And in the short version of that is mindfulness at the point of contact. And so we'll talk about that um, uh, at quite a bit. And that uh, basically what it means is, is that if we are mindful, when our, uh, let us say, perceptions or understandings impact us, in other words, when we get it, that's at the point of time when feelings arise. And the kind of feelings that are arising are the feelings of liking, the feelings of not liking, and the feelings that are not sure whether they like it or not. That is um, often in the English translated as neutral, but the Pali itself does not indicate neutral. What it indicates is either a dukkha, a sukha, or dukkha sukha. Vedana. Okay, what that means is, is that it's mixed. It's either I like it or I don't, or I have mixed feelings about it. And sometimes those mixed feelings are that I can't decide whether I like it or not. It would almost be like, uh, in, in logic, an, a question can be answered a yes or no question can be answered in various ways. One would be yes, the other would be no, the next one would be both, and the one after that would be neither. So both and neither kind of fit into a different category. Okay? And so this is what we mean by that third kind of feeling, and we can actually cause it the feeling of confusion giving rise to fear and doubt and uncertainty and postponement and lack of decisions and all kinds of stuff like that that happens in, in logic, okay? So the point that I want to start out on, though, is, is that when I heard Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talk about mindfulness at the point of contact or pasa, giving rise to feelings in the in the system that is called Paticca Samapada. I did not know where Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa got that until I finally found it in the sutta that you're talking about now, which is the Dinga Dakaya number 15. And what is the Pali name of it? The Maha what? Nidana Sutta. Nidana, okay. The Maha Nidana Sutta. Right. Even though the name Nadana doesn't have anything to do with Paticca Samuppada, the whole teaching is that. Now, there's a story behind that story about Ananda claiming that he understood Paticca Samuppada and that the Buddha says, no, it's too profound, it's too subtle. Mm -hmm. And the background story from that is that Ananda didn't actually understand the teachings of the Buddha, he still held eternalistic beliefs. 
And because of that, the suttas are often spoken of in eternalistic uh, framework. But that the Buddha's major teaching about Patitya is to understand that this eternalism, this uh, soul, or this thing that goes from life to life, experiencing the good and bad actions of a past life, is a teaching that not only is irrelevant to the teachings of the Buddha, it's actually dangerous and harmful. It's an actual harmful, misleading uh, in interpretation but that the Brahmins use that kind of teaching to gain power over other people. In other words, if I set the rules and you don't behave by my rules and I don't really have the power or the army to go make you do what I want you to do, then I can lie to you and tell you that if you do the wrong thing that I tell you not to do, or you don't do the things that I do tell you to do, then someday you will get punished. I will make sure of it. Okay, so this is how it's, uh, people are controlled. And if it goes far enough, we can make it into the law of karma in the sense that if you do good things, then you will get a good from the big guy that's making the rules. And that if you do bad, you'll get um, a bad result from the big guy making the rules, All right? And if we make that <clears throat> into an even larger thing, a magical world, then we can uh, turn it into the law of comma because uh, any child can say that, well, I can do wrong and get away with it. Mm -hmm. That in fact, the Buddha talks about it like that in the sense that wrong view is I can get away with it. Right view, ordinary right view, is no, you can't get away with it. Eventually, you will get caught. Even if the comma machine has to dig you up 300 years from now just to kick your ass, right? That's the whole idea of it is, is that it, you will get caught. Eventually, that's the uh, right view but it's a right ordinary view. Now, the right noble view is, is that you're not getting away with it right now. Yeah. Right now, you're not getting away with it. Yeah. Okay. So, much of the teaching of the Buddha, especially about the five aggregates and how the five aggregates fit into Samapada, points out that this idea of a self or a me or a mind or a selfishness comes into play at a time when uh, the mind has already grasped onto things. In other words, the grasping that the mind does requires the concept of a grasper, the me, the one who wants this thing. Okay. And so uh, this teaching of Paticca Samuppada is actually very useful for the Anapanasati meditation practitioner to begin to understand how his mind works so that he can uh, gain several skills. And one of them is, is that we want to learn to speed up sati, that we don't want it to be very slow, 
because if it's very slow, then by the time we wake up, we're already in dukkha. Oh, yes. The question is, can we wake up before the dukkha arrives so that we can avoid it completely? In other words, uh, imagine that you've got to go to the other side of the pasture and you're going to step in a cow pie if you don't watch out because the pasture is, the cows are on the other side of the pasture, but there are cow pies all over the place. Mm -hmm. You don't want to recognize the cow pie after you step in it, right? You want to see the cow pie before you step in it. This is the whole idea then about the mind. We want to see dukkha coming. And this is the way that we can do that. In fact, this is the major, major point that Bhikkhu Buddhadasa is making this hidden in this sutta. And that is, is that when we bring our mindfulness to the point that we know how our, what our feelings are as they arise, then we have great control over them. We can control the way that we feel, that we don't have to create feelings that lead then to grasping, clinging, and wanting. Okay? And that when we grasp and cling and want, etc., like that, then that's the birth of the self, but this self is always born in a woeful state. Okay, anger, sadness, fear is in fact a protection mechanism. Mm -hmm. And the protection mechanism is from the instinct, the uh, self um, uh, preservation instinct. Okay, and so. Uh, the whole teaching then of the Buddha is, is to wake up in time so that the feelings do not deteriorate ignorantly. You got me? Okay. So let's go through an example of that. The feeling of liking will lead to the desire or wanting it. In other words, if I like it, if it looks pretty, then if I have it, I will be better off. Which yeah. means that I'm not better off right now. Uh -huh. I'm worse off right now. Because I would be better off if I had that shiny object that I like so much. Do you understand the feeling that's going on with that? It's a very, very quick thing. It happens very quickly. Yeah, if I, I like it, I want it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, along with that comes judgment in the sense of if I like it and I want it, that must make it good. And I will be better off because I get it. And if I don't like something, then I want to push it away. I want to not have to endure it. I want to be away from it, to move away, just like wanting wants to go close to something. So not liking it wants to draw away from it. I don't like it. Therefore, I don't want to be around it. I want to get rid of it. And that also means that it must be bad. It must be terrible. It must be um, evil. So this third kind of feeling is when those things are mixed together or they are missing in the sense that you want to know how to feel about something, but we don't know how to feel about it. 
And that gives rise to confusion. Students get confused often when I'm talking. <laughs> I don't know whether they like this or not. <laughs> so the, um, the confusion then leads not to uh, the judgment of it is good or it is bad, but it leads to the question of mystery doubt, confusion, um, and other feelings. Which is kicha. Mm -hmm. Which is a dukkha, exactly. Being afraid, being all dressed up and ready to go with no place to go. Mm -hmm. All dress, in fact, the, the warriors are all dressed up for battle and fit to go and they're afraid to go. There's a very, very classic case of that that we know of in history, and that was McClellan was the general that uh, Abraham Lincoln had chosen to lead his army. And McClellan trained and trained and trained and trained, and boy, they were a crack troop, but he wouldn't let them go. He was still afraid that they weren't ready yet. And when Abraham Lincoln replaced him, he replaced him with Grant, and Grant took that first-class army and went to war. <clears throat> okay, so this is an example, then, of that doubt and confusion. All dressed up and no place to go. Or the warrior fit for battle and is yet afraid to go. That's like the student who is ready for the debate, but he's afraid to go out on the stage. Or children, when they have a, a, a recital to do, uh, a voice recital, or maybe a poem to recite or whatever, and they've learned that poem, but when they get on the stage, there is that stage fright. I don't know what to do. We go into that state of confusion. Because I really like being out on stage. But what if something bad happens, right? And we don't know. And so we're in that state of confusion. Now, Back to the whole teaching is, is that the teaching is, is that if we know these feelings, if we're wise to them, then we can manipulate them very quickly. And in the practice of Anapanasati, this is when we're beginning to have mindfulness of what we're thinking about. Then we can have mindfulness to the, to the idea that this thought is unwholesome. Why is it unwholesome? Is because it will lead to greed, it will lead to uh, ill will, or it will lead to confusion. Let me have the kind of thoughts that do not lead me to greed, do not lead me to ill will, and do not lead me to confusion, and those kind of thoughts would then be wholesome thoughts, nurturing thoughts. Okay, and this is how we practice it when we're um, actually intentionally practicing it. But we want to practice sati so that it can happen at any point during the day. At any time during the day when, uh, when we are contacted by something, when something impresses us, like walking out on the stage and seeing an audience right in front of us, that's an impressive thing. Everybody, 500 people looking at you, All right? So this is what I, what the Buddha mean by, by contact, mm -hmm. right? 
the point is, is that the reality is, is that so what? I mean, you walk out on the stage, 500 people, maybe now you're the janitor. <laughs> right? And you just, you know, cleaning up the floor before the act goes on. You don't think anything about 500 people. You ignore them. They're just part of the scenery. Right? So, in fact, it's not the audience and the, uh, the stage that brings on the stage fright. It's the mindset of the person who's walking out on stage. Okay. And if you are an old pro and you have done this many times and you know exactly what's going on, you can walk out there in full mindfulness. That's what makes someone a star is the fact that they can be here now and handle this moment with eloquence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So most people are never going to get to that point. Most people are never going to get to the point of actually being able to perform really well in front of an audience. We're always kind of in practice mode, not sure of ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so what the teaching of Anapanasati is, is to bring that mindfulness up, put us back into a really good mood, because we know that whatever happens, we can handle it. Uh That even I don't know is okay, because the I I, I don't know does not lead to confusion, doubt, uncertainty. So when the uh, politician gets asked a question that is hard for him to answer, if he is a sharp politician, he'll have a ready answer or he'll be able to divert the topic. But the new politician, when he's asked a really tough question, he'll hem and haw and not talk and try to avoid the question, avoid the uh, uh, avoid answering or whatnot like that, you see. All right, so we're talking about a split-second decision that happens inside the mind based uh-huh. upon what our level of sati is. Mm-hmm. And so if we can always choose to go the wholesome route, then that means that we have wisdom there at the point of contact. When that question is asked or when you walk out on the stage yeah. or when some, when things get tight, when you're put on the spot, huh. right? That's when we need sati. When somebody's yelling at you, that's when you need sati. And before that. Before also coming into it, in fact, there is the whole idea of, oh, I know I'm about to walk out on stage. Uh-huh. That would be really cool. Yes, exactly that. That we That's what wisdom is all about, is knowing so that you're ready for that contact. So that wisdom is there at that point of contact. That way we can handle these feelings when they come up, or we can actually manage them into feeling the way we want to, rather than the way that we are in the habit of feeling, based upon instincts and self-preservation. It's funny that a child will walk out on stage and have stage fright, because not one person in that audience is going to start throwing cabbages or axes or anything at them. 
We don't do that anymore. <laughs> okay, so th these are big things, and it's good to talk about it in big, big ideas. And um, if there were selfishness involved, which is actually what is going on here, then someone would say, oh, but I don't... I don't have any trouble going out on stage. But it's not talking about whether you have trouble going on stage because that same rock star who can handle going out on stage, he cannot handle his mother-in-law. Mm -hmm. All right? Mm -hmm. And so we're not talking about just going out on stage. We're talking about any kind of event. Mm -hmm. And so it's a generalization that we go into bad feelings quite often when in fact there's never a reason yeah, to go yeah. into bad feelings. No. But we, yeah, out of the delusion and, and maybe wrong view and wrong attitude, we, we don't know how to Getting to feeling good. Mm -hmm. And and so there's an important way of looking that if we are able to handle whatever is going on, then part of the idea of confusion and don't liking things is, is that we will often take actions that are harmful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But if we are in a good mood, then we're not going to be doing things that are harmful and therefore will require retribution. What do you but, mean by retribution? Well, we're, we're talking about cause and effect relationships. And sometimes the cause and effect relationship is kind of slow. But there is actually a direct link cause relationship that is present. That one of the most important teachings that the Buddha gave, and he did this in Sutta number 38 in the Majjhima Nikaya, which is a sister Sutta to the one that we're talking about. And this is also the teaching of Paticca Samapada. In fact, there's three really good ones. There is Dinga Nikaya, number 15, the Majjhima Nikaya, number 9, and number 38. And these are all about Paticca Samuppada, but they don't talk about them in the kind of detail that is pointed out in many other suttas. And in this one sutta, number 38, it has the issue about a fire. In the sense that a fire burns with a fuel, and that a fire is known by its fuel. For instance, a log fire, a gas fire, uh, a building fire, a house fire, a car fire, a grease fire, a kitchen fire. You see what I'm talking about, an electrical fire? Every fire is known by its fuel, refuge. Whatever it is that is burning is the fuel. This is an important point. 
And the Buddha talked to his uh, monks in, in the case of, do you understand what I mean, that a fire has to have a fuel? Do you get that? Yeah. You understand that? Okay. This is an important teaching of the Buddha. If you cannot get it, it will be to your harm because then you will think that there are fires that exist without any fuel. And there are no fires that happen without a fuel. This is actually the part that um, uh, Ananda was missing because he was thinking that, no, I will exist after I die. That fire will burn without a fuel and then it will get fuel later. And the Buddha has been pointing out in many ways with this teaching. So that's why he told Ananda. He told him this stuff is really profound and difficult to understand and you don't get it. And so he tries to explain it to him again in a, in a way. So, but he's not telling Ananda that in a, in a way of shaking him and seeing, don't you see there is no self because Ananda will say yes to that. But then he goes back into his magical beliefs, which is what we often do anyway. There's a really, really big point to understand that it's only this moment that actually counts. That the past does not have an effect upon you unless you set it up that way. Mm -hmm. And when you stop setting up so that the past has an effect upon you, then it doesn't have any effect upon you anymore. And that's an important point. So, fire has to have a fuel. That means that the whole show of Paticca Samapada is, is that every event is kind of the kickoff or the cause for the next item on the list. One after another after another, there is actually this fire now sets that fuel on fire, and that fuel on fire creates the next fuel that's on fire. Just like a house that starts that, that way, that it can start with a candle, that can start the rug, the rug starts to burn, and then the curtains catch on fire, and now the ceiling is getting roasted. You see what I'm talking about? One after another, after another, after another. And if you remove the fuel along the way someplace, that whole house does not get burned down. which is exactly the way that we're talking about Paticca Samupada is the whole house gets burned down and that we wind up in a woeful state. Mm -hmm. We wind up in hell, we wind up uh, full of fear, we wind up in unsatisfactory states, dukkha, right? So if we can somehow rob the fuel at any point in time along the way, then we can put a stop to it. Now, in normal minds, the way that the normal world operates is someplace around clinging in the sense that some two people can be having an argument, for instance. Yak, 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 yak. And then one of them will say, wait a minute, I've gone too far. And he'll walk out of the room and slam the door and finish the conversation. That's when they wake up. 
because if nobody wakes up in that thing, one of them's going to wind up injured and in the hospital, or worse, dead and buried in the backyard. You see what I'm talking about? Somebody's got to wake up along the way somewhere. And the sooner we wake up in this process, the less damage, the less fire is burning. Because we've been able to stop the fuel. This is the teaching of Paticca Samupada. That's the whole teaching. One step after another, after another, after another. And basically the steps, and I'll teach you this in, in later detail because you can get the whole thing, but just as an introduction is that consciousness, in other words, we become conscious of something happening on the outside or maybe a thought that happened uh, of something that did happen on the outside a long time ago. So we can remember and bring it back up or we can experience it now. We then try to make sense out of that, and trying to make sense out of it is what we call perception. Okay, and when we perceive something that we perceive, it means that once we've become cognizant, we've got to recognize it or recognize it, right? This is what we talk about in the sense of, in the Pali is the Salayatana, which actually means the internal representation. So what I see on the outside is not what I see on the inside because I've had to make sense of it to get it on the inside. So what's actually out there is not what contacts me. It's something that is inside that's mixed with that which I saw on the outside. Right? Mm -hmm. And that old stuff that we call is memory. A recognition because we have seen it before, we have cognized this before, and so now when we see it again, we recognize it. An example of that would be a uniform. Many, many uniforms you've seen, and so whenever you see any of the uniforms you've seen, then you will recognize that uniform, right? So you know the difference between a nun's habit and a nurse's uniform. And you know the difference between an, uh, um, an army officer and an army uh, uh, general. They wear different uniforms, right? Okay, so this is what we're getting at. But we do that not just with the clothing or the uniform that people wear, but we do that with other things subtly. So that we're always making... Uh, an, a representation on the inside of the mind trying to understand or make sense out of the world. And that is what contacts us, not the actual reality. We're not contacted by real reality. We're contacted out of a constructed reality that we construct on the inside of our mind. Well, which is where we live, and that where we live is in the Salayatana, a different kind of consciousness than uh, the kind of consciousness that took in the input. Okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of getting it right now. Yeah. All right. So I can use the word seeing to talk about two different kinds of consciousness. I see you has two different qualities to it. One is I actually do see you, and then the other one is to add whatever we've got together. I see you. Aha, I, I caught you. All right. So that's the recognition part. Yeah. yeah. Another one is, is that I see the tree 
but what I see with the eyes is just an image. To uh -huh. call it a tree, I've had to process it a little bit. And which is the sal salayatana? This is the salayatana. The recognition or? or the recognition, okay. Oh. In fact, in English, we use sometimes the word realization. I realize something. Mm -hmm. But that's not a very good word to use. It's kind of funny, in fact. If I realize that tree, what does that mean? I've got a tree growing out of my head? No, that's not what we mean at all. So we don't realize. What we do is, is that we conceptualize or mentalize uh -huh. trying, to, trying to grasp or understand the reality of it. And we're always missing uh, a lot of information. There's a whole lot more going on than we generally process. But in fact, while we're processing and thinking about something or trying to figure out what it is, that's the time when we're not receiving input. If we stop processing, then we can receive input, a lot of input, because there's a lot happening around, but we don't pay much attention to it because we're always trying to think our way through things. Okay, so this is what uh, the idea then is, is that if we process less and less, then there's going to be less and less things that contact us. Mm. And yet, the more input we receive, the wiser we are because we can see things without trying to make sense out of it or understand it, we just put it in as part of the database. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. All right. So this is how we look at Paticca Samuppada. In the Pali, this consciousness that is the seeing, I see the tree, is called Vedana, or Vinaya, excuse me, Vinaya. Uh, and then Vinaya gives rise to Namarupa. Namarupa is perception, also called Sanya. And what does that mean? Namarupa means that we take the Rupa and we name it. Just like I said, I see the tree, but I had to name the tree. And that process of, of seeing the tree then as a tree requires Namarupa ending up in a salayatana, an internal representation called tree that is not the same as what the eyes saw. You got that? Mm -hmm. And that's what contacts us. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. And if we have wisdom at that point of contact, then we can choose how we're going to feel about it, or we have a much better way of managing our feelings without letting them go in from I like it to I want it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a very cute story about this. The story is about Achan Cha and Achan Sumedho. Have you heard of either one of those guys? Okay. Achan Cha and Achan Sumedho were at a uh, contend ceremony, which means that there is a lot of, uh, without going into any detail, all of the young women will go to the temple on that day, all dolled up, 
this is a kind of a courting or a mating kind of uh, ritual that, that's done in Thailand while the mothers are in the background managing the whole show. And Achan Cha sits there and he uh, uh, mentions to Achan Sumedho, what do you think? Because Achan Sumedho probably was looking at these girls and Achan Cha saw it, and so he's going to confront him with it. Uh-huh. And Achan Sumedho had a brilliant comeback. His comeback was, I like it, but I don't want it. Wisdom. Wisdom at the point of contact so that, in fact, we can like it, that women, in fact, do a whole lot of work to make sure that they're beautiful and attractive and it's all right for you to like it. Just don't want it. Mm-hmm. If you want it, that becomes really dangerous, but you can like it. It's quite beautiful. Yeah. And then if you have wisdom. So... What's, what's the wisdom here? You gotta... The wisdom is, is that it's dangerous for Sumedho uh-huh. uh, uh, as a monk to try to want to chat up one of these young girls. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. That, that's what I thought before I, I asked the question. Danger. Yes. That's what wisdom is all about, is to recognize that we don't have to follow these feelings blindly. That it's time to wake up to these feelings. This is the point that's easiest, but it takes quick reaction. We have to be there. If we're, if we're slow or late, then... Uh, the desire has already kicked in. Now I want it. And now mm-hmm. I'm plotting. Mm-hmm. Really fast. Mm-hmm. And, and so if I can catch that liking at just merely liking or, or not liking at merely not liking without having to take an action. That we recognize, yes, I don't like it, but so what? Because I ask you, how many things are there for you to not like in this world? Many. Uh-huh. Are you going to spend all your time going around not liking things? No, well, I, I don't have to. <laughs> you don't have to, right. Uh-huh. Oh. So if you come to the state of not liking, be aware that you don't like it, rather than blindly following that feeling of not liking. Mm -hmm. This is the teaching of the Buddha, is be wise at that point of contact. Now, that whole point that we're making right now is actually buried right there in that sutta. It's, It's there. When the Buddha is talking about Vedana, the feelings. Be wise to these feelings. To know what you're feeling all the time. Because if you know how you're feeling, then you also know 
uh, of the feelings as wholesome or unwholesome. And then you have a time or a chance to make a change. This is the whole practice of Anapanasati now, is to recognize the unwholesome as unwholesome. Wanting something is unwholesome. And in fact, is listed as one of the five hindrances. He's generally the first one on the list. Wanting things, like wanting enlightenment. If you sit down wanting enlightenment, then you're probably going to have a pretty miserable sit. But if you can sit down and say, well, I'm not going to like anything or want anything right now. I'm just going to enjoy the moment. Everything is okay. Everything is fine. And so we, and so we cultivate being in a really nice state. Because we don't want anything. We're satisfied. And yet the, the danger is, is that people want this state. That we're talking about the state of not wanting anything it's actually got a term it's called desiring desirelessness yeah 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 that's well yeah i've noticed like maybe uh, the past two years or something like that mm -hmm. this this kind of it's kind of like a trick it's a trick the mind plays it is kind of a trick yeah. Here is another way of talking about that same trick, and that is using the dichotomy between nurturing and uh, critical. Okay, the critical mind is that which wants and likes and judges and wants not, dislikes and judges bad. Critical, making a grade, going over a boundary uh calling through a maze did you do it or did you not is there light or is there not okay this is criticism and we learn to be critical from our society the society itself is critical and the reason that it became critical is because in the old old days it was really a dog eat dog or actually human eat human barbarian uh, uh human sacrifice animal sacrifice all kinds of uh, terrible things humans did and so the building of our society was then built upon this idea of criticism that this is good and this is bad up and down back and forth this is okay and that this is the also the ordinary view oh, and yeah. this is where this is where magic comes in the magic comes in is, is that this is bad and this is good and it will always be the case that this is bad and this is good. And that's when the magical thinking, because where's the fire? I mean, the fire that is, makes it bad right now is because I don't like it. If I start to like it, then, it, then it's only my opinion that changed as whether it was good or bad. The item didn't change, you see. This is an important point is, is that things are not inherently good or inherently bad in and of themselves. That things are good or bad because people like it or don't like it. Mm -hmm. there, there is the case, for instance, arsenic. Is arsenic good or is arsenic bad? It's just arsenic. Yeah. Arsenic. We can use cyanide. Do you know cyanide? 
Arsenic and cyanide are, are two poisons that you can die from quickly. Okay. Uh, and so I asked the question, is, is arsenic or is cyanide bad? Well, by itself, it's just poison. In fact, arsenic, the one that I started with, is uh -huh. actually used in transistors. Gallium arsenide, there's a lot of arsenides that have arsenic as an ingredient in it. But if you eat it by itself, it will poison you and kill you. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's empty of... But the arsenic itself, neither good nor bad. Another example is, is that if you have the intention to poison one of your enemies, then you want arsenic. It's good. And you like it mm -hmm. because yep. you want it because you're going to kill somebody with it. Okay. All right. So arsenic has no quality of good or bad by itself. It's how the individual person, the human responds to it mm -hmm. based upon their old memory, their old past, et cetera, like that. So you, you, you go to the pharmacy and you look and you see a bottle and it's got the label arsenic on it. What are you going to think about? Are you going to think about transistors? Are you going to think about dying if you eat this stuff? Are you going to think about, I'm going to go take this stuff and give it to that dog I don't like? Right? <laughs> All of that is what happens in the mind. I like it. I don't like it. I'm not sure about it or uh, it's neutral. Okay, this is what we do with the things based upon our past. This is the Nama Rupa. So the actual Rupa is that jar of arsenic sitting on the counter. What I do with it is, is that I name it or label it according to my own understanding. And then that's what contacts me. And that's what gives rise to my feelings. Oh, I want this stuff. Or, hmm, I don't care about that. Or, ooh, I want to get away from it. Okay, so those are the three kinds of feelings. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if we have wisdom at that point of contact, then we know how we feel about it. We know what kind of thoughts that we would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is, the, this is actually one of the most important points of, of the Buddha that Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa makes a big point about wisdom at the point of contact. When that stuff hits you, you got to know how to feel. Uh -huh. That's the wisdom. Because if you don't know how to feel, then you're naturally going to feel according to the instincts. And that's what causes dukkha. Mm hmm mm hmm that's the whole teaching in the nutshell, and that's why this teaching is so profound and difficult for people to understand when they bring magical thinking into it. But this is all purely logic, and one of the qualities of logic is, is that it's got to have a cause and effect, it's got to fit in, it's got to make sense, fires don't burn without a fuel. And so that's why the introduction to Paticca Samuppada in Sutta number 38 is 
the idea of fire. Because, in fact, consciousness is just like that also. In the sense that consciousness is known by its fuel. So you have eye consciousness or seeing. You have hearing consciousness uh, from sound. The sound reaches the ear and the combination of them causes hearing. But it doesn't cause understanding. It doesn't cause listening. It merely causes hearing. Mm -hmm. That in fact, you could hear somebody and then really not like it and not want to hear anything. You know, it's like some scratchy voice or maybe it's your mother-in-law or someone like that. And you hear it, but you're not listening at all. Intentionally not Uh listening. Uh So uh, the next one is uh, the tongue and uh, the flavors give rise to taste. Taste is a consciousness. Touch is a consciousness. The body and the contact with the body is is touch consciousness. And so uh, part of what we practice in Anapanasati right from the very beginning is to bring um, our consciousness out of the mind consciousness or thought into the here now consciousness of the senses to become aware of the body become aware of the feelings of the sensations of the body to become aware of the uh, the rising and the falling to become aware of uh, the sensory contact uh, our posture also in fact in the mahasi method they have the little poem rising falling touching sitting this is exactly correct rising of the breath falling of the breath uh, touching the floor and touching the cloth and all of the touch input with the body and then sitting is the proprioceptic that when your eyes are closed you know what posture the body is in you know whether you're slumping or not you don't have to look in a mirror to see if you're slumping you can you can feel it right that feeling of it is the sitting rising falling touching sitting is all about the body here now While the eyes are closed and nothing is going on, you're in a silent room, it's probably a darkened room, and there's no input coming in from the eyes or the ears. We're not eating food or chewing gum. We're not having a tic-tac, and so there's no flavor. And the only thing that's left is the the sensory input from the body. Yeah, could you call that kind of like direct experience of... That's why we talk about sati at uh, the point of mindfulness for bringing in the breath and bringing out the breath. So we want to have sati with that long deep in breath and sati with that long out breath. So we're intentionally creating sati. I remember, I remember, I remember. I'm not going to let the mind go wandering away. I'm going to sit here and, and practice remembering. I'm going to remember to be here now. Any thoughts that come to mind are going to be very wholesome, happy thoughts. Well, this is nice. No place to go and nothing to do. I feel really good. Everything is all right. Those are the kind of thoughts. And when the thoughts come that are unwholesome, then we can use the phrase that the Buddha used was, Aha, I see you, Mara. Aha, I see you. Okay, because even that's joyful. Ah, I caught you. 
And then we come back into joyful, um, pleasurable, happy, nurturing kind of thoughts. So going back to that point about critical is, is that ordinary world, the ordinary uh, right view, uh, the world of the ordinary person is a world of criticism, rights and wrongs and uh, goods and bads and that kind of thing with punishments and rewards and that um, uh, the change of reference that we make is to from criticism back into nurturing the way that a mommy would nurture a baby that she's not going to fuss or, or uh, hit the child because the child does a poopy. But if the child is an adult doing a poopy in his pants, that's a really big no-no, you see. But for a baby who's just newborn, a couple of days later, they're actually looking for that first little turd. Or sometimes they're big ones. The first one's sometimes enormous. <laughs> so um, at that stage of life, we everything is good. Everything is nurturing. There is no criticism. And we need to be able to get our mind back into that state, into a state of nurturing, into a state of no criticism, into a state of um, not responding to things. Things don't impact us the way that they did. And when it impacts us, we are wise to the feelings that arise so that we can manage those feelings. So this is how Paticca Samapada fits directly into the practice of Anapanasati and directly into the Eightfold Noble Path. They're divided up so that we can speak about them and talk about them. But the basic skills we need are listed in the Eightfold Noble Path, and then they're presented as enlightenment factors once we have unremitting mindfulness. That's the Sambhojana. And the, the way that we practice the Eightfold Noble Path is through Anapanasati. But, but we're also, in the practice of Anapanasati, we're looking at it from the perspective of uh, the sequence of events in the mind of these fires that are burning in Paticca Samapada, so that we can decide where we're going to put the fire out by robbing it of its fuel. Let's give some new fuel. Let's not give unhappy fuel, let's give happy fuel. Mm -hmm. We spend our time nurturing with the idea that everything's going to be all right. You're a winner. You can handle this. Everything is fine. But it needs to be practiced over and over and over again. Why? Well, look how look at this this way. How many thoughts have you had in the past fifteen or twenty years of critical thinking, critical thoughts? And now we're going to start having nurturing thoughts. But the critical thoughts are are the the habit, and so we have to change that habit. This is where sati comes up. To remember, to remember, to remember. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. And, the, and the first place to look is look at what's hip happening. Look at what's contacting you. Look, mm -hmm. at, look at how you're feeling. 
If that's unwholesome, then let's change it. Okay, I understand. Great. Mm -hmm, great. Yeah. Good. Anapanasati in the sutta says is that the practice of Anapanasati is a great fruit. Uh -huh. It's an enormous benefit to practice this way. Yeah, it is. So we'll finish now. And you go off and you, you put this into practice. This is the, the right way to practice. And, and this is actually very good. I'm glad that you called about this. That's why I ask you the question, how are you practicing? Because now I've gotten it completely spelled out. This is exactly how we're going to practice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, we'll see you. Yeah.